That idiom or that colloquialism of the gold standard, it comes from something that was part of our United States monetary system about 100 years ago. And back then, our country's currency, our paper money, had value. And that value was directly based on a fixed quantity of gold in Fort Knox. But that system has gone by the wayside quite a while ago. But the gold standard, that term still is around today. And it came to mean a standard of quality. It meant that whatever they were describing was the benchmark by which all other things of the same kind or the category in which they were talking about that was what things were measured by or compared to. And let me give you an example. Like Olympic sports, they give gold medals for those who, when every, all the other swimmers are compared to this one, this is the gold standard. And they actually have a gold medal they put around you. I remember Mark Spitz back in my day and more recently with uh, Michael Phelps winning so many gold. There's just no one really that compares to him. And when you talk about Olympic greatness... See, everyone is compared to them. You know, the quality of hotels where you go, it's not gold, but they say, see, the best hotels have five stars. That's the rating. See, that's the gold standard in hotels. And it, it happens in a lot of other areas, too. The gold standard of hospitalization. You have Mayo Clinic or John Hopkins or the Cleveland Clinic or some of those places where they're top-notch. They're, they would say world-class. You have the gold standard of restaurants and literature and all kinds of things. Today, I want to talk to you about the gold standard of giving. 2 Corinthians is the place that tells us about that very gold standard. The churches of Macedonia, in verse 1 of our text, if you'll see it there, were the first century gold standard of giving. Um, They were the spiritual benchmark by which all the other churches, not only in Greece, but in other places that were measured by, they were compared to. If you wanted to know or you wanted to see how a gospel church viewed their money and how they gave it to God and shared it with others, you didn't need to look anywhere else but to the believers at this church in Macedonia. We might say that they wore the gold medal of money, that they had been given the... uh, Standard or knew the standard of five stars when it came to finance. But when you read this text, they have all these accolades about giving and they are looked up as the greatest comparison. They are the gold standard. But you know what's crazy about it? They didn't have much money. They were not wealthy churches. They were not mega-sized churches. They weren't thousands of people flocking into them with all kinds of monies in their spiritual coffers, so to speak. But they were generous. They were people who gave like nobody else. So when you read those two and put them together, you have to ask the question, I think, that I'm going to ask you this morning. Well, what made them so generous? What made them so good at giving Can I tell you this? It wasn't their size. It wasn't how big of wallets or bank accounts they had. The difference was grace. Grace. It's mentioned six times in our chapter. In fact, the entire letter, 2 Corinthians, written by the Apostle Paul, is framed by the word grace. It's in the 
In the opening introduction, it's in the benediction, chapter 1, verse 2, chapter 13, verse 14. It it begins and ends this book because everything Paul wants to teach the Corinthians is about this subject of grace. Fifteen different times throughout this letter, Paul talks to them about the grace that they need. They need grace because grace is countercultural to the wisdom of the world, he says. Grace is a gift of God. Grace is an action verb, meaning it's not just a theory, it's not just a concept, it is ministry, it is labor, it is working. Grace, Paul says, is something God works in you and you as a Christian work out. Grace, he describes it as abundant. He describes it as surpassing. He describes it as sufficient for everything you need, even your suffering. And of course, above all else, Paul wants you to know that this grace only comes through knowing Jesus Christ. In chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, he makes it very simple and plain for us. Grace is what you get when God saves you from your sin. But let me tell you this. It doesn't just change your destiny from hell to heaven. Grace is much more than that. Grace changes everything. Not just your destiny, but your desires and your deeds, and specifically what you do with your money. You see, the Corinthians were a church that had been abundantly, can I say, graced. They had been given all kinds of gifts from God. Read 1 Corinthians, the first few verses of chapter 1. Read this chapter, chapter 8 and verse 7. It says they had been given everything, all the spiritual gifts, all the amazing things, miraculous things in the first century that God was doing. They had all of these gifts. They had an abundance of grace. They had more gifts than any other churches at its time. But they weren't giving. What was the difference? Why were they so gifted? Why were they so graced in so many other areas? But they weren't really following suit, can I say, in giving of their finances to others. Well, if you read about the Corinthian church, hear me. They had a lot of gifts, a lot of grace. But they were enamored by the gifts that were more public. See, they loved the fact that they had all the gifts that were impressive and getting revelations from God, and at that day and time, speaking in tongues, and all the things that were out front that people could see that made you look spiritual, that made you popular, and people thought all these awesome things of you. They see, they were really into those gifts. But they really weren't into the gifts of helping others and giving to the church and giving to the needs of others because it wasn't out front. It was more private than public, and nobody really saw that. So they really weren't into that grace. Let me translate to what that might look like perhaps in 21st century. See, there are some of God's people today, we prefer giving their time, our time, but not so much our money. Some of God's people prefer to give their talents, but not their money. They would rather give a testimony than to give their treasure. But see, that's not how God wants it to be for us. In fact, may, may I say to you, I believe this text says God expects us to give by grace just like Jesus did. So we have to ask, and I want to ask you today as you look at this text with me, what does giving by grace look like? 
How can I see if I measure up to the biblical gold standard? And, and so in order for us to do that and to challenge ourselves from the word of God, I want you to look at two tests in this text. There are two texts that God gave the Corinthians and to us to see if we measure up to the gold standard of giving. And they are these two, and we'll unpack them one at a time. The first one is what I call the life text. Look at the first few verses again with me. The Bible says that this was their life circumstances. They were being tested. It's the Greek word that actually is used to talk about the quality of metals. That when you wanted to see how pure a metal was. You know, we have 10 carat, we have 14 carat, we have 18 carat. And the higher the carat, the more value because the more pure it is. It's not mixed with alloys and other metals. This little word used in verse 2, test, is that very word. He wanted to see how gold their standard really was. Our version says this. They were undergoing a severe test of affliction. The word severe is a Greek word that literally means many. So the idea is it wasn't just one bad test. They were going through a series of bad tests. They weren't just having, let's put it modern vernacular. They weren't just having a bad day. They were having a bad year. Any sound familiar? Financially, right? It was severe. It was great. It was hard. It's even possible if you read Acts chapter 16, which is the background of this text, that because they were Christians, that people weren't buying from them anymore. And they were finding it difficult to take a stand because that stand for Jesus was costing them financially. And it says it was a severe test with affliction. It means not only was it a financial problem, it was a physical problem because some people were being persecuted for it. We don't know what or to what degree. But things were really, really rough all around. And it describes it this way, that they gave out of their, verse 2, extreme poverty. See, they lived in these little towns where Christianity wasn't accepted and it was hurting them financially and it was threatening them physically. And because of that, they were very, very, very poor. There are two Greek words in the New Testament that are used to describe poverty. This one is the worst one. And it means that they had been reduced to begging. I mean, they really, perhaps for some, didn't know where their next meal was coming from. In fact, it's so extreme. The Greek word for extreme is bathos. We get bathosphere. It's the little thing that goes down in the, in the deep depths of the ocean. It means it was deep. In fact, some translations say deep poverty. I mean, this was right down to the core. I mean, they really affected their existence. It's important for us to see this morning, when you see how they give, what they were giving out of. See, they had a rough life. And I know sometimes in America, we think that we have it rough. We know the economy's bad and finances and this, that. And then we think things are rising and the prices are going up all the time. Just get some perspective and take a look at what rough really looks like. This is what they were experiencing. Deep poverty. That was their life situation. But in that very life context, this is how they faced their life test. The Bible says they responded in a way that is almost unfathomable. To extreme poverty, they responded with extreme generosity. With abundant afflictions, they responded with abundant joy. Do you see it? With joy. 
they were almost begging to get money. And in the text, it says they were begging Paul to give money. You say, that is impossible. How are, is there really people like that? Yes, they're called Christians. See, it's not their circumstances that drives them. It's something different. It's grace. See, they were empty of gold, but they were full of grace. Did you know that you don't have to have a lot of gold to meet the gold standard, but you do have to have a lot of grace to meet the gold standard? And it's impossible for us to conceive in our minds even the possibility of being in such situations and giving like that. See, if you don't know the grace, this seems far-fetched. But if you know the grace of God, you'll know that this can be a living reality. See, this test, the first test of grace giving is external. It's what's going on outside you. It's everything in your life that surrounds you. And so if you're going to ask yourself today, hey, am I a grace giver? What's the question about the first, what is the life test all about? Listen to me. Here's what the life test is. Will grace control your giving or will your circumstances control your giving? Jonathan Edwards, the Puritan, used to say, the Bible requires us to give in our distress to those who are in greater distress. That's the Macedonians. That's the gold standard of giving. You see, in the context and why Paul was asking them to give is he wanted them as Gentiles who got the gospel from the Jewish people who were really suffering back in Jerusalem because they were undergoing a severe famine. He says, listen, they have given you spiritual riches. Now, why don't you share your physical riches with them? Because their need physically is greater than yours. And so he's asking them. He's asking them to live up to the gold standard, not the standard of their culture, a different kind of standard, the gold standard. Too often, though, you might say, Pastor Walker, well, I don't know really honestly as we start this year, I don't know if I can afford to give. But often, not always, but often when we say I can't afford to give is what we mean is I can't afford to give without it actually burdening me. Or cutting into my lifestyle. We're really saying I won't be able to do the things I want to do. If I gave 10% of my, out, my, my income right off the bat, 10%. Can I tell you this morning kindly, if you never give, unless it doesn't affect you, then you'll never know the power of the grace of God. See, the Macedonians didn't give when they had so much extra and their bank accounts were overflowing and their retirement was set and they had the cars that they wanted and they had moved up to the house they really wanted to live in and everything was like, okay, now I can, you know, good, I, I can do it. No, they didn't have any of those things. They didn't have two cars in their driveway. They didn't have a driveway. That's when they gave. And if you don't learn to give or you only give when it doesn't affect you, then you'll never know what it means to give by the power of the grace of God. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a famous preacher about a century ago in England, said this was a true story. He said one day a farmer came in to the house and he was really excited and told his wife this, you know, our cow, our cow, I thought was going to have a calf and it's not going to have just a calf. It's going to have two calves. Can you believe it? That is such awesome blessing. And she was really excited. And he said, you know what? Because God has blessed me like this, 
When those calves grow up, I'm going to give and sell one of those and give all the proceeds to the Lord. She goes, that is such a great idea. That is fantastic. She goes, well, which one of those calves is the Lord's? He goes, I'm not going to worry about that right now. So a few months later, as the calves grew up, he came back in the house on another day. But this day, he wasn't happy. He was dejected. He goes, it's a terrible day. She goes, what do you mean? She thought something horrible had happened. No, it's a terrible day. I can't believe it. It's so sad. She goes, what? The Lord's calf has died. (laughs) Sometimes, see, sometimes that's us, isn't it? I have to cut back this month, we tell ourselves. You know why? Because the mortgage or, you know what, the bills or... This new car, it really cost me more than I think. So we have to cut back this month. And the first thing we cut back is our giving to God. See, that's the Lord's calf. <laughs> we have to save more, honey. We're getting a little older. <laughs> we got to get ready for retirement. So we're saving more means we give less. See, here are the Macedonians. And they're able to pass the life test. Even though their external or their outside circumstances are very rough, very difficult, they're in great poverty, the Bible says, listen to this, listen, they don't just give according to their ability. Did you read the text? Beyond their ability. Oh, they didn't give till it hurt. They give till they almost didn't know if they would have anything left. Now, that's not for every time, every person, every age. But it is an example for us, is it not? They gave beyond their ability. In fact, look at verse 5. And Paul says this because he's almost excited, so excited he can't contain himself. He says, it's not what we expected. See, people who are grace givers, when it comes to the gold standard of giving, they don't do what is expected. They exceed expectations because they're not under the compulsion of a commandment we're going to see. They're under a different kind of compulsion How in the world, Pastor Walker, did they give like that? He tells us. He doesn't leave us thinking or guessing. They first, verse 5, they first gave themselves to the Lord. Do you see it? It's the key in the passage. How were they able to pass the life test? Here's how. Here's how you can do it. Because they first gave themselves to God. Do you get it? They were already gods before the poverty came. Before they had to make the decision of how much they're going to give and how much it's going to cost them. You know what they did? They said this. Here's our framework for giving. I belong to God. Money didn't define them. God did. Small amounts of money, it wasn't the amount that was mattered. It mattered. See, the small amount had a large impact, and the reason it did is because it came from people who had already given themselves completely to God, and the ability to do that and give in that fashion, according to that standard, they were liberated, and the reason they were liberated from their circumstances is because they had a knowledge that they belonged to God. See, they were trustees, not owners. Everything in their lives, including their money and themselves, belonged to God. They first gave themselves, hear it, to the Lord. 
Do you know what grace is? It's salvation. And it means this. Jesus comes into your life, and because he died and rose again, you put your faith. He has saved you. He is your Savior. But you know what else it means? That means that he is your Lord. He's your Lord. So therefore, he owns everything, including you and your money. Pastor Walker, what do you mean? What do you mean it's all God's? I've worked really hard. You know how many hours I go to work? You know how hard I work for my money? Let me ask you a few questions. Who gave you the brains and the smarts to do all that? Who gave you the health to get out of bed in order for you to make it to work? If you've not been sick with COVID or you have not had the flu or the infection of all the stuff going around, do you, most of us or a lot of us have. Do you know that your health comes from God? We've had people with surgeries, people with cancer, we, just like everybody else. Do you know the fact that it's not you is all of God's grace? Do you ever think of this? Why were you born in America and not a third world country that was dirt poor and that's where you still are to this day? Do you know why you're in America and you can have the American quote on dream? God's grace. Who gave you the talents and abilities in math or in science or in business and all that you have? All of it's God's grace. Let me say it to you this way. Capitalism says this. It's your money. You earned it. You can do whatever you want with it. That's capitalism. Christianity says it's God's money. You're a trustee and you can do with it whatever he wants. Those are polar opposites. Two worlds apart. See, grace doesn't just make Jesus your Savior. It makes him your Lord of everything, including your money. You know what it looks like? It looks like Zacchaeus. It looks like a tax collector that had reached the pinnacle of his career and his profession. It was a guy that had made himself rich but was hated. It was a guy who had a lunch with Jesus and over that lunch... He is extended grace by the master and it changes his life. And out of a brief lunch with Jesus, he comes out and he says, if anyone I have basically ripped off, I will repay them four times as much. Why? Because when grace gets a hold of your heart, it doesn't just save your soul, it saves your wallet. <laughs> so are you passing the life test? I didn't say whether you're giving 10%, although I think that's a great place to start. I'm asking you, is Jesus Lord of your life and your money? Did you ever think this, that you, you and I struggle with grace giving because we struggle with grace living? Maybe his grace isn't powerful in our giving because it isn't powerful in our living because they, they go together. So grace givers are people who are able to pass two tests. The first being, the first five verses, the life test, your circumstances. The second one being the love text test. Verses six through nine. You see verses six and seven, Paul has sent one of his protégés, Titus, because Titus had helped start the Corinthians along the right path of how to give. And he wanted them to be like the Macedonians and live up to the gold standard of giving. And so they needed a little help. And so verse 6 says he was sending Titus so he could complete this grace. Verse 7 he says so they could excel in this grace. He doesn't just want them to get it done. He, gets them, he wants them to get it done according to the gold standard. So he said Titus is going to come and he's going to give you some help in it. 
And in order for them to complete and excel in this grace of giving, verse 8 says they had to pass the second and final test. Look at it in verse 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove. And that's our word test. It's the same word, verse 2, same exact Greek word. To test by the earnestness of others your love also, to see whether your love also is genuine. See, he didn't want to command them. He didn't want to force, force them. See, this is not a message on giving today. You say, okay, Pastor Walker, beginning of the year, what do you think I should give? See, I'm not telling you that, and I'm not going to tell you what you should or shouldn't do, because this is not about compulsion. The Bible has principles. There are commandments. But let me tell you this. Paul said, I want your love to come from somewhere else. I want your giving to come from somewhere else. Not because you're guilty, not because you're compelled, not because you feel bad because you didn't last year. I want you to have grace. I want Jesus to be at the center of your life, he says, when it comes to your giving And I want you to do the giving you do, and I want you to see it this way. When you give, you are saying, Jesus, I love you this much. Not the amount. Not the amount, although the amount will follow. But the relationship. That's what's at stake. So he's testing them. He doesn't want to see what's in their hands. He wants to see what's in their hearts. And so in verse 8 he says... I want to test the genuineness of your love. It's a great Greek word, the word genuine. It is actually a verb of being, meaning I want to test who you really are. I know what you say. I want to test who you are down to the core of your being. There aren't very many things in this world that really get down to who we really are and express who we really are other, more than our giving. Paul says, listen, in fact, New Testament says, often this word is translated genuine, is translated true. Titus, you're a true son in the face. Timothy, you're a true. See, it's about whether you are true or not. If you've watched the news, you've seen that there was a Republican congressman in New York, George Santos, He ran for Congress and he was elected. But after he was elected, people became, and I'm not sure why altogether, a little suspicious of some of the things that he said during his campaign. Maybe he was a politician. That probably would do it. (laughs) But what they did when they researched his background is they found out that he had strung out during his campaign a series of lies. He said that He claimed that he worked for two major Wall Street firms, Citigroup and Goldman Sachs. He never worked for either one. He claimed that he graduated from Baruch College. He never did. He claimed to have started a charitable organization, Friends of Pets Unlimited. He did not. He claimed to be the manager of an investment corporation, DeVolder Organization, It had no clients. He claimed that he had four employees that worked under him one time who died in the 2016 mass shooting in Orlando's uh, Pulse nightclub. None of their names are on the list of the people who died. See, he wasn't genuine. He wasn't true. They were just words. Words so people would think well of him. 
Do you know what Paul wants from the Corinthians? You know why he's testing their love? He wants to know whether it's true, whether it's genuine. He wants to know whether this is really who you are or is it just words? Is it just what you say you are? So he shows them. He says, now, before you answer, right, because you might say, oh, come on, I think I'm genuine. But before I answer, I want to show you the real genuine love that you're going to measure up to. Verse 9. See the little word for that begins it? It's a connecting word. See the genuine love test, he says in verse 8. Let me show you. If you don't know what genuine love looks like that comes from grace, let me show you because it's none other than Jesus. And you know what's awesome about that? Because Jesus isn't the gold standard. He's the God standard. See, he's the one that says, if you want to know not how the Macedonians give, they're great. They're at gold level status. But see, there's something beyond five stars. There's something beyond gold medal, right? We're talking six, seven, eight infinity stars. We're talking medals that you can't describe. He says, you want to know what the real standard is above all else? It's the God standard, and that is Jesus For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. I find it interesting that the two little words, poverty and riches, that describe the situation and the giving of the Macedonia Donians in chapter 8, verse 2, are the same words used in chapter 8 and verse 9 to describe the situation and the giving of Jesus. In other words, Paul would say this, Macedonians, you are amazing. Look at the grace that came out of their lives. But I want you to know a greater grace. I want you to see the epitome of grace. I want you to see a standard that even surpasses, which blows your mind, The Macedonians giving. You know what it was? Jesus. Jesus. It's the highest standard from which every person who ever gives anything will ever be measured by. And it is about two reversals. Can I close with this? If you want to give like Jesus, the highest standard of all, here's what grace love looks like. Jesus goes from riches to rags, while others go from rags to riches. Do you see the two reversals in verse 9? That, my friends, is genuine love. That's what it looks like. Where you are willing to go down so that others can go up. You're willing to cut into your life so that people's lives can be elevated Do you see what Paul's saying? You you know, because they've been saved. You know the grace of our Lord. You know what it's like for him to save you. But let me tell you what that salvation included. It included an example of giving that is unsurpassed, unequaled, unparalleled by anyone or anything. See, Jesus did not just give a tithe of himself. Jesus didn't just give 10% for you and I. He gave it all, did he not? He gave it all. See, he took your spiritual poverty that you might be spiritually rich because you and I were destitute. Our spiritual circumstances were even worse than the the Macedonians. We were dead and he made us alive. 
See, that's what Jesus has done. That's genuine love. See, he chose to have his life reversed so that in doing so, he could reverse your life. That's love. So it would be wise for us to not only ask, how could the Macedonians give like that? How about this? How in the world could Jesus give like that? Well, the answer is the same way that you can give like that. The cross. That's the sacrifice. See, if you have the grace and you know the grace, you'll be able to give the grace. The Macedonians, see, they gave, they cut into their lifestyle. They cut into their lifestyle to give to others. Jesus gave his life to give to others. Do you have genuine love like that? Have you passed the life and the love test? Let me close with words from the Scottish preacher Robert Murray McShane. In a sermon he said, Do you know the grace of Christ? Oh, dear friends, if you would be like Christ, be like him in his giving. You have an objection? Is your objection my money is my own, he says? What if Christ said, my blood is my own? What if Christ said, my life is my own? Oh, friends, he begins, Give much, give often, give joyfully, because the greatest giver of all said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. Oh, Father, as we start out a new year, And we consider how needy are we of your grace. It is not just grace for what typically typically comes into our minds. We need your grace to give. Oh, Father, truthfully, in some ways, we can never match the God standard because we're not Jesus. But we can be like him. And we can strive to reach the gold standard Because in being like Christ, we will also be like the Macedonians and we will give. And Lord, I pray that Faith Baptist Church, thank you for a church for all the 26 years I've been here. Such a generous, such a giving church. May we continue to excel in this grace, to abound in this grace that comes from hearts that have been radically and eternally changed from the inside out, all by grace the grace of our Lord Jesus, that in all of our giving, you might know, Master, how much we love you and also how much we need you. In your matchless name we pray, amen.